Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What's up? It's Gold Fam. Happy Monday. Hope you all had an incredible weekend and are getting ready for a great week ahead. Super excited for my guest today. Today, my guest is Olivia Young, founder of Box and Flow, the first fitness studio focusing on the integration of fight and flow. Olivia started her career in the hospitality space, but ultimately decided to pursue her dreams and passions of fitness with opening Box and Flow. I've been to Box and Flow many times, and I can personally say, That studio was a special place and more than just an incredible and amazing workout. Only three weeks after opening our flagship studio, she had to close the doors due to COVID. In this episode, we dive into both Olivia's personal and professional journey and explore how she's navigated really tough times. Olivia, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Very excited to have you on. So I've been a big fan of Box and Flow. Prior to like COVID, it was like the early morning routine for my then girlfriend turned fiance turned wife where we would go for like the 6.30 or 6 a.m. with Myra Mm -hmm. all the time and we loved it. I love that. That's so cool. And now you're married. And now I'm married. We miss Box and Flow and we miss Myra. She was uh, such a positive like burst of energy. She is uh, still a very close friend of mine. I'm Uh, very grateful for her. That's awesome. I grew up boxing. Like I've been boxing since I'm 11 years old, but yoga I'm terrible at. So my now wife thought it was always hilarious when we go there because like the boxing I could crush, the yoga part was brutal for me. Yeah. I mean, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And I think it was about finding the challenge. Like so many people, regardless of gender, either lead more towards like fight or more towards flow. And that shows up physically, I think, the strength of it. You know, it sort of captured both sides of self and all sorts of humans. So it was really special. So I know just before we started recording here, you had moved to Austin. What's the latest with Box and Flow now? So COVID hit three weeks after I opened my flagship studio. And so 3,000 square feet, Lafayette in spring, studio of my dreams, shut down. I moved to Florida home for three months during the pandemic, did everything online, came back in June 2020 to try and re-salvage the business, hired a COO, finished my franchising docs, and it was sort of getting to like August, September, October, November, and nothing was happening in New York City. I didn't have it in me, and I don't think I wanted to fight anymore. So something sort of called me to consider really making change. New York wasn't opening yet, and really like Austin called me and I decided to take a risk and close the studios until the foreseeable future. And in terms of New York City, I don't know what that looks like. Obviously it reopened. My franchising documents are done. And I think it's about just checking in with myself often to see what speaks to me. So Box and Flow isn't over. It's just, I think, taking a pause because I needed a pause. 
and not forcing anything. Like when it feels natural to reopen in whatever iteration that is, I, I will. And until then, I'm patiently just experiencing whatever else life has to offer because it was really all consuming four plus years for me. Yeah. Can we go backwards just to like how Box and Flow came about, what you were doing before and how you even started your business? Totally. So I, I moved to New York after culinary school, for culinary school, excuse me, at the end of 2009. So I moved to New York to go to culinary school because I wanted to get into food writing. I worked at Food and Wine Magazine and then went in-house for a chef named Michael White and the Altamaria Group. Ended up becoming brand director of that company, building one restaurant into 18 globally. So I was traveling all over the world, opening restaurants, doing all the marketing, branding, and PR for a global restaurant company. And my boss at the time was the former president of Merrill Lynch. So I was really surrounded by really strong people, creative people, and was given the autonomy at age 23 to build an international restaurant brand. Simultaneously, I would wake up every day and box and do yoga since I was 15 years old. So for the past 20 years of my life, I've practiced yoga every day and boxed, you know, multiple times a week. And without recognizing, you know, what it was sort of doing, I finally realized it was shaping me like physically, but really also emotionally to be strong. Like boxing gives me confidence and it strength to overcome anything. And yoga sort of forces me to slow down and feel. And those two modalities, I credit to being able to walk into a boardroom with the former president of Merrill Lynch representing a global restaurant group at 23. And really that feeling, that sort of balanced empowerment, I recognized that I wanted to give to the rest of the universe. So I was in this big corporate role, which was exciting, but also like monotonous, opening a bunch of restaurants. And then I started my own consultancy representing other restaurants and chefs. And then at some point I knew I was an entrepreneur and had to create something on my own. And 2016, I basically spoke to my boss and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. And he was in full support of like, go fly. So I spent a little while like courting spaces in New York City and sort of messing around a little bit until I was really ready to commit to the biggest commitment of my life to date, which was really signing a lease and opening a studio, never having taught a class before. So I wasn't a, a trained teacher. I was a certified yoga instructor and I practiced, you know, I boxed arguably more than many, many other people that teach and whatever else. But it was really about me taking, you know, control of this space, taking control of my life and creating something for others. And Box and Blow was born in November 2016. I found teachers who believed in my vision and convinced them to come teach for me. And without any PR, total word of mouth, we opened a business. I opened a business. Wow. Before opening, what was going through your mind or emotionally as well? Like, were you terrified? Were you scared? Were you excited? Were you all those things? Like, you have like the steady job. It seems like it's going really well. And then it sounds like you have this dream that, you know, you want to pursue and you mm -hmm. took, you actually took the leap to do it. What was that like? You know, it's confusing for me because I went to culinary school not wanting to cook. I wanted to write about food. I wanted to experience food. I opened a fitness studio not wanting to own a fitness studio. I wanted to create a feeling. So Box and Flow started as words on a paper. Like right now I'm, I'm writing a memoir. Like I would say I'm a writer more than anything else. And I was really, really focused on inspiring others to see themselves. 
And how I saw myself or how I started to see myself was through physical movement. It was how I sort of got to feeling. So the idea of opening a fitness studio was exciting until I realized it was a studio. Like my ex-boyfriend at the time was like, you realize you're opening a gym. It's an operations business. You have to like open it and close it and hire people and manage people. Like the glamour of it was lost upon me because really I just saw it as a feeling. And so it wasn't until I realized really what the business was that I became terrified because I had no idea how to run a space before. I was in the restaurant business, but I didn't work in restaurants. I was like on the corporate team. So all the emotions that you mentioned, I felt terror, fear, excitement. But at the same time, once I committed to doing it, like that was it. And it took me a while to commit to it. Like I courted a lease, I broke a lease, I thought I was going to get married to this guy so that I wouldn't have to follow my dreams. You know, I was looking for any out so that I wouldn't have to pursue this, have to, as opposed to like want to. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was like, you're scared. You need to feel this fear. You need to like recognize that this is the fear that you need to feel so that you can overcome it. And I did. What was it like, I guess, leaving your steady paycheck at work? What was that like? Because I imagine like that's probably one of the more terrifying parts, right? Like leaving so much certainty for so much uncertainty. Yeah. And at the same time, when I mentioned I had a side hustle that was a consultancy, I funded my whole business by my side hustle. Mm -hmm. So I self-funded because I was sort of without knowing I was growing this nest egg by representing other chefs and sort of acting as an agent, a celebrity agent for other chefs and taking a 20% cut of all of these big deals that they were doing. And I was putting that money aside I didn't know what for what. And eventually I realized like, that was what funded my business. So I'd saved money. It was scary to stop getting a paycheck, but it was like, um, I went like part-time. It wasn't just like an overnight thing. They were very, very like understanding of me and supportive. So like supportive. So like I went part-time. So I was still getting some paycheck. I was still doing some side hustles. But then at the end of the day, it was like, okay, we're done here. Now we have to go forward. And that was totally scary. But I think my personality in life, I'm either in or I'm out. There's very little gray area for me. So mm. this is what I was doing. And also like total transparency. I knew that there was going to be no point where I wouldn't have a roof over my head or food on the table. So a lot of people come from that space and it's like their last resort and it's everything that they have. And if they didn't, they would be on the street. Like that wasn't my experience. Luckily, God forbid, if anything happened, I would be okay. But that wasn't more or less scary. It was like, the biggest fear for me was being completely vulnerable to the universe. Like this was my business. This was my name. This was my technique. This was my face. And you know, that's scary. This is like you standing bare naked being like, this is me. And at the time I thought that was all of me. And due to like way more self-discovery over the past year or so, like that was not all of me even close to, but it was, it was real vulnerability and it, it gave me courage and it gave me strength and it scared the shit out of me. And that was all purposeful. Yeah. I'm curious specifically, like New York City, every other block, there's a gym, multiple gyms. How do you feel about like, just like the competitiveness of the market, especially in like a major city? You know, like I think maybe if you're in like a suburb or not a major city, it might be even a little bit less scary because you're like, oh, it's a small town. Sure. New York City is like, it's the big apple. <laughs> yeah. And even along the way, like, you know, I had a good friend call me. It was funny. Mario Carbone is a good friend of mine. And he had called me because I had told him what I was doing. And he's like, how are you? I was just randomly on a plane sitting next to Eugene Rem, who's the founder of Catch and uh, Rumble. Rumble. And he's like, I want you to know what they're doing. And I was like, 
And he was so worried, you know, so it was also at the time that Rumble was starting. So there was a lot of competition in the market. Yeah. And I recognized it and it made me scared. And I said to my boss at the time, my former boss in the restaurant world, his name's Amas. And I, I said, like, but there's so much boxing. What am I going to do? Because the longer I waited, the more hesitant I was, the more scared I was. And he said, Olivia, how many Italian restaurants are there in New York City? It's a great point. Good point. And also at the same time, it's like, you know, when you look at humans, like no matter how many people are potentially like you, there's no one like you and that's your power. So what I brought to this world was uniquely me. It was my experience more parallel than anything to date. And at the same time, it was the human experience. Like there wasn't a boxing yoga hybrid. And even if there was, it wouldn't have been box and flow because box and flow stood and stands for something way deeper than anything of boxing a bag or, you know, doing yoga on a mat. And I assume like you experienced it. There was something really special in those walls. It was an energy. And that was my goal. So once I overcame the idea that it was such a saturated market and it was New York City, it was like, this is my fucking time. And mm. the fact that it was New York City was even more powerful because it was my city. Yeah, I love that. Super powerful. So obviously like COVID put a huge, and I remember I used to also go to Overthrow quite a bit. I remember when you guys first opened, one of the trainers there, the new studio, did you guys officially open or didn't even get the chance to open because of COVID? We were open like three weeks. Got it. Because I remember like the timing and then he's like, oh, because he knew I would also go there and take the class with Myra. He's like, oh, you should pop over. They, they just opened up this amazing new studio. Mm. So I guess with COVID and all that, it's been, what, a year and a half since it's closed? Yeah, March 2020. April, yeah, yeah. How are you, like, feeling about all of that? I feel great. <laughs> I feel good. I mean, because I don't look backward, and I try not to look too far ahead because neither are where I am. Mm. So everything in my life that I've like experienced to date, that I've both suffered from, overcome, all of those things, they were with purpose. And what happened with Box and Flow, the beauty of it when it was like in full force and the misfortune when we closed and COVID and everything else, three weeks after opening a flagship, like it was with purpose. And I just feel like it is like not, it is sad, it is great, it, it just is. Yeah. Well, you have a really good mentality around it. I certainly hope that you guys come back to New York City selfishly because I'm here. But who knows? Maybe you guys will, will open up in Austin. Anything's possible. Who knows if we'll open all of the places? I don't yeah. them to open again. It won't be a small studio. It will be like a major force with multiple locations, a franchise with purpose. Like I will never again open one studio and do what I did. I opened a space... I ran there at 5 a.m. to turn the heat on. You know, I went through that startup. I painted the walls. I hung bags up, 55 Bond Street. It was every part of me, heart, body, soul. And you could feel it in that space. It was sweat. It was blood. It was tears. It was so authentic. It was everything it was meant to be. But going forward, just for like life purpose and what I'm willing to do right now, I'm not willing to do that again because it wouldn't make sense at this point in my life. Yeah, I understand. What would you say, like looking back, what was the most impactful or memorable moment? I'm sure you had a lot, but is there one that specifically sticks out to you over the years since you opened the business? I don't know if it was a moment more so than just, I never saw it as fitness. I saw it as a feeling and I saw it as, you know, a human experiment. 
the way that people walked into that studio, whether they were like shut down with their shoulders to the ears or open up, the front desk greets you. And it was a human like experiment. So people got their gloves on, they're standing by the bag. For 45 minutes, it was all about you facing you on the bag and on the mat. There were no mirrors. It was in the dark. It was, you know, opportunity to let go. And there's people that can and there's people that can't. So if you're continuously dropping your hands, you keep giving up on yourself. It shows who the person is and what they're willing to work through to get where they want to be. And, you know, it was really a lesson in humanity and it was beautiful and heartbreaking. And people walked in with joy. They walked out with tears. They felt everything if they allowed themselves to. And it was really about taking that feeling into the world with you. So it wasn't a moment. It was so many moments. It was Mm -hmm. so many moments of beauty and breakdown. and, And it was struggle. It was really, really hard. It was construction in the first studio to open the showers. It was noise complaints from, you know, the second floor. It was working on the new space, building it out for a year and a half. It was fighting with contractors. It was hiring and firing people. It was finally seeing myself as the boss because my employees were my age or older or some were younger. And until I recognized that I was the boss, it was my investment. I was the boss. It was my concept. I wasn't respected as the boss. So there were so many struggles internally too, which were really challenging for me. And like I said, it was my biggest commitment to date besides myself at this point, but it was hard and isolating. Entrepreneurship is isolating. If you don't have a partner, and if you do, it's exactly what I needed. And I think Mm. it was a group experience too. It was a group fitness class and you fed off the energy in the room. But at the same time, it was something that was uniquely your own. Like you were there for you, whether you came with someone or not, you know, you were showing up for yourself or you were giving up on yourself and you were there to be and to breathe. And I mean, again, a parallel to life, like whatever I do in my life, I show up for 100%. And if I'm not there 100%, then I'm not meant to be there. Mm, I love that. Really deep stuff. I want to just shift a little bit to talk a little bit about some of your blog posts, if that's okay. So I read a couple of weeks ago, the blog post titled, The Story I've Never Told. Mm-hmm. Is that something you're willing to talk about? Sure. You know, I imagine that was like a really hard piece to write. What prompted you to like be so vulnerable to open up in such like a real authentic way? It sounds, this is obviously the first time we're connecting, but it sounds like that's very much you. There's so much of what you're saying that personally I resonate with so much, but I guess I'm curious, you know, like what prompted you to write that just for context as well? just my own story. Like I lost both my parents by age 25, my dad when I was 20, my mom when I was 25. So pretty short time period of when I lost my mom to my dad, my dad to my mom, I should say. And personally, you know, I know sometimes it's like the hardest things in your life are things that you might want to keep internal or not share with the world. But obviously you wrote that piece and it was just like so raw, so authentic, so real. Mm -hmm. And then I went down like a rabbit hole reading all your blog posts. And I was like, oh, it's funny now that you say that you're a writer. I just love your writing style because it is so, I can't think of a better word right now, but so raw, just so real. And there's like an appreciation, I guess, when you're reading something that comes off so authentically. Thank you. First of all, I'm sorry for your losses. And yeah, I think everybody has a story, right? And this idea of trauma we think of as like these big things in our lives that shape us, which for you and for me are very big things, but really trauma comes in all shapes and sizes. And I think it's about recognizing, like I said, 
about the class, you know, it's the human experience and there is beauty and there is loss and everything. And I started Box and Flow as a way for people to feel what they were feeling and let it go, recognize themselves, face themselves to free themselves. And the irony in my business is, you know, I was saying all these mantras, almost as if I had been victimized in some way, traumatized in some way. I didn't know any of my experiences. I didn't remember any of my stories until I started down this self-discovery about a year ago with the assistance of plant medicine. So all of my traumatic memories were very much buried in my subconscious because as a result of my memories and my PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, at a very young age, I started running from really feeling anything. And part of my running was disassociating from my body. And the way that I got back into my body was by boxing, like really to get my anger out and through yoga to sort of feel and be more embodied. So I built this business without knowing that I had any trauma. The front doors of Box and Flow say everything you need is inside. It wasn't about the studios. It was about ourselves and trusting ourselves. There was a mirror in my new space that said, face yourself to free yourself. About, again, looking inside to recognize what you've experienced so that you can let yourself free from all of that. And the bottom line of Box and Flow is really flow through the fight, which means finding ease through resistance. To find this flow through the fight, that is life because Life throws you curveballs and you sink or you swim. You stand up or you sit out. And whether you behave that way in the class or in life, it's up to you. So in my experience, I've been training my whole life to write what you read, the story I've never told. I've been training my whole life to be able to face all of these traumas head on. So the fact that a year ago, Box and Flow had closed, it was literally a year ago, September 5th was my first plant medicine experience. Something called me to plant medicine. So what's plant medicine? There's a lot of buzzword on like psilocybin, psychedelic assisted therapy, MDMA assisted therapy, basically using these tools, these drugs to put you into a subconscious state. The irony in all that is that I've never been a recreational drug user. I've never done mushrooms or MDMA recreationally, cocaine, any of these things. I can't drink caffeine. Like I'm that energetic. Just it doesn't serve me. I love a martini. So I drink alcohol as that's my drug of choice. So when I sort of went down this path a year ago, something called, they say the plant medicine calls you. Something called me to want to search for a deeper meaning. And as a result of that, I started doing this one-on-one assisted psychedelic therapy. And all of a sudden, all of these traumatic memories from my childhood, from my adolescence came up that were basically like pretty severe sexual trauma. And maybe when we post this, you'll put the link to the story so that makes more sense. But one after the next, and as recently as less than a month ago in a recent section that I haven't shared, like something else came up that were basically giving me all my answers because I don't remember. I don't remember like growing up, I don't remember high school. I don't really remember college. This was like, oh, that's why I transferred from college. And the medicine literally fed me an answer. And the story that I shared is basically about a bunch of these traumas that sort of connect and are the reason why I've done things that I've done in my life. And basically like connecting my dots. So back to your question, why did I share? It's why I share everything. The only way I think that we can sort of be ourselves in this world is if we see ourselves. And so the more I see myself, the more I want to share myself, because by me sharing, I'm not looking for remorse or 
anybody to feel bad for me. I'm not looking for anything except for you to potentially look at yourself and be like, hey, I'm not that different. It's not that different. Like we're all humans in this experience. Our experiences are different, but we all are here to feel and potentially to feel mm-hmm. from those things. So the more that I share, the more that I find that other people share, not necessarily with me, but with themselves. I think that we're walking on this earth. We're living these lives. We're so covered in ego, so shut down because we're so afraid to actually like feel what we feel. And everybody has trauma, like I said, big or small, and it hurts. And I find that you collect this hurt and you either become completely shut down or you sort of face the hurt and you open up. So it's really about, you know, identifying with your ego or your heart. And for me, I only want to operate from my heart. I don't want to be acting from a place of look at me needing to be seen because like I've been hurt so much in the past. I want people to see me because I'm all heart. So by seeing me, they see their own heart. Mm, That makes sense. Yeah. And and I'm sure also a lot of your blog posts and like your writing, I'm sure it's helping a lot of people who have had their own trauma, whether it be similar or not. I mean, obviously totally different trauma, but so much of your writing around grieving lost time and grief and moving forward personally, like I, I resonated with it so much. And mm-hmm. I guess it was interesting for me when I was reading it to see it through the lens of death, mm-hmm. obviously for my own circumstances. But yeah. Like there were so many bits and pieces where I was like, Oh, that I can resonate with and relate to so much. I know there was one part that I vividly remember where you wrote for the first time, I'm paraphrasing here for the first time I, I'm writing this or I'm viewing this not as a victim, but as a survivor. Mm-hmm. That was just like one thing that really stuck out to me because I'm really involved in an organization experience camps, which is a free one week camp for kids that have lost a loved one. Mm-hmm. I just got back, I guess like a week ago now or two weeks ago from that week. And that's something that I think a lot of kids there would resonate with or that we speak about viewing your life, not as a victim, but as a survivor. And, you know, despite your circumstances or what happens to you to not live your life sort of as a victim, but to go out there and be able to, to move forward as a result. Right. I mean, I thank you again for sharing that. I think it's really about like unstucking yourself, you know? So I relate to sexual trauma because that's my experience. Right. But I've had some time to really sit with this a lot of time at this point. It's the first time after this blog post, I'm even actually talking about this. And I actually just came back from a trip yesterday and I felt like I was finally ready to not just write something to the world to read it. You know, that's almost easy, but to talk about it is different. And to me, it's less about being a victim or survivor of sexual trauma. It's more about recognizing that we either are victims or we are survivors. And I wake up every morning and I've done this forever. And I lace up my sneakers and I go take myself on a run or something of the sort. And I take a photo of my feet before I go anywhere as a symbol of like, I am right here starting where I am. Whatever has been is in the past. Whatever might be is in the future and both are out of my control. But all I know is that I'm starting here. And from here, I have the freedom to do anything. And if obstacles come in my way, I also have the strength to move through them. So back to this idea of flow through the fight, it's finding that ease through resistance. It's finding that survivor instead of victimhood. It's finding that movement forward instead of staying stuck where you are, because so many people stay stuck in their stories and how they define themselves in their victimhood. In this is what happened to me. Like, that's not my story. 
with that said, we all have stories. I've sort of come to accept that my story is more extreme than most. And that's okay. There was a reason I was given that story and there's a reason I'm not going to be defined by it. Even more so that it's so extreme. So it's about getting yourself to this point where you are strong regardless of where you've been, what you've seen, that you believe in yourself no matter what to keep pushing forward. And with an element of ease and flow instead of fight. Because a lot of people too who carry that weight of what happened to them, they're always on the defense. They're always fighting. They're always looking for a reason to attack as opposed to being in this place of presence and listening. They're always waiting to jump. And, you know, I'm in this space of, I hear people, I see people because I hear and I see myself. So by sharing, it's not only me seeing myself, but me seeing others and giving people permission to see themselves as strong, no matter what. Mm, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. No, it's a lot. And at the same time, doesn't have to be mm. like, it's all perspective, you know, and what you're doing with the camps and finding your why to inspire other children. is so beautiful because they relate to you and you relate to them. And I think it goes back to the human experience, like giving others courage to move forward, because I'm sure that your campers see you and are like, he's strong. He has an energy about them. And that energy is not just what we taught in the class, but how we carry ourselves as humans. You're a representation of not just where you've been, but where you are. Mm, absolutely. I think one, one other thing that I read that you wrote that I loved is just strength is actually your ability to be vulnerable. Mm. I think that that's like so powerful because I think a lot of people view vulnerability maybe as a weakness. And again, I'm talking very specifically right now through the lens of like grief, but I think a lot of people... And I've heard it before on personal levels where people are like, you're the man of the house now, you know, pick yourself up. There's no crying. you got to move on. Things of that nature where the ability to be vulnerable is actually strength. And that's something that I've spoken about with other people. I've heard it. And it's something also that we encourage at experience camps where the ability to cry, the ability to show your your real emotions is, is actually strength. And that's something I know that you wrote in one of your blogs that just really sat with me. And I agree with you, like gender plays a huge role in this. And I know there's a lot of non-binary stuff these days, but if you look at, you know, traditional gender, you know, boys when they're growing up are like, don't cry, excuse my language, don't be a pussy, like, you know, whatever it is that, no, I mean, that's that just that. Yeah, yeah. So young boys are taught not to be vulnerable because that's seen as weak, just like young girls are told not to stand up for themselves because that's seen as not nice. So little girls are taught to be nice and little boys are taught to be strong and <laughs> yeah. it stays with us. And I think yeah, it being let with, you know, comes to vulnerability as strength. It's in my opinion, like the strongest men are those who are unafraid to show their vulnerability. Yeah, I agree. I want to talk about plant medicine a little bit. So I know that, you know, you said, and I've heard it before, plant medicine, you're called to it. Were you this introspective before diving into plant medicine? Like, I'm curious what the Olivia was like prior to taking it. Were you always looking for or trying to find meaning in, in your life? And is this taking that, would you say like this pulled another layer of the onion back and now you're one layer deeper? Or were you not so introspective before and this opened up like a whole new world to you? I'm, I'm curious what that has been like for you. 
I've always been this. I've always been looking for meaning, finding the depth. If you go back into my blog from three years ago, I was writing about the same emotions, but I didn't know where they came from. So what plant medicine Mm. did for me, I grew so much armor on myself. I became so strong and so tough and so unafraid and so unabashed and dove into this business headfirst and took risks and no fucks because I had to. It was the conditioning from my experiences, my trauma, my... It's a hard word to say, but rapes, multiple of them, you know, that again, in this blog post, but I was always seeking depth in people that I spent myself, you know, spent time with in myself, like, you know, the, the major inquiries of life. Why are we here? What is the purpose? Just like I opened a fitness studio and had nothing to do with fitness. And it was the, one of the hardest workouts you could ever experience. Like I've always been that way. Plant medicine, what it did was it really blasted through my ego. It blasted through whatever I thought was real. And it eliminated the armor that I was carrying so that I could see the depth of my trauma, the depth of my wounding, and to show me my why, to show me why I had so much armor, to show me why I was so shut down. And it fed me exactly what I needed. I didn't go into it being like, what happened to me? I went into it like, literally my intention was open my heart, you know, reconnect me to my body. And just like that, like clear as day, like the first, and you know, it has been multiple sessions at this point, but the first one was like, this happened to you at 17. That is why you, like, it just gave me like a Mad Libs answers. Were you scared the first time? Can you actually take me through, I guess, what you said you've done it a few times now? Is it in like, is it in a ceremony type setting? Is it one-on-one? The first session I ever did, I did 5-MeO-DMT, which is known as toad medicine. It's basically this sonora toad, and they sort of take this special sap from the toad, they crystallize it, you smoke it, and it releases DMT in your brain, which is the molecule your brain releases before you die. So Mike Tyson talks about this, how it changed his life. Joe Rogan talks about it a lot. It's probably the most extreme plant medicine you could ever do. Why did I start with that? I have no idea. It called me. And it felt like the safest, even though it was probably the least safe thing that you could do because it was 20 minutes. So it's a 20 minute psychoactive toad experience. I talk about this with kids gloves too, because this isn't stuff that they're not party tricks. Like, you know, I think that there's going to be more and more noise released about all of these substances. And I, I actually have a fear that people are going to be using them in the wrong settings with the wrong people and the wrong They're safe if they're done safely. They're dangerous if they're done dangerously. So I was introduced to a shaman who was a psychotherapist. It was one-on-one. It happened to be in Janis Joplin's old apartment in the Chelsea Hotel. Like it was all set in setting. It was wild. But it was me, psychotherapist, shaman, September 5th, 2020. So just about a year ago. And as I said, I had never done any recreational drugs before except my martinis and maybe, you know, smoke some pot now and then. And it blasted me off to the moon because that's what DMT does. It literally, you sort of experience near death and you pass out. And in my experience, there was all of these images and things coming at me, all of these emotions. And I didn't understand anything because I didn't have any memories. So from there, I went into a ceremony a week later with psilocybin and MDMA. And that was sort of when all of the things that I had started seeing in the DMT were like starting to be explained in my next plant medicine experience. 
the second time you did it, different setting or? Different setting. It was with a group of people. But again, I didn't know that that I had trauma or traumatic memories. I thought that I was going to reconnect to my body, open my heart. I really wanted love. I was sort of in a series of relationships that weren't serving me. I didn't know why I was always picking the wrong men and they were picking me. And it was because I was really replaying my traumas in my relationships. So my patterns kept repeating themselves because I didn't know why I was repeating the pattern. I didn't know what the pattern was because I didn't know what my trauma was. So what plant medicine did was really show me why. And my experience was as such because I've been doing personal work on myself since I was 15 years old. So, so much coaching and not necessarily traditional therapy, but I've always been this really inquisitive, curious person of why and how, and like everything has a depth. So a lot of people find me polarizing because like, I'm not good at talking about the weather. Like I I really go in deep pretty quickly. To some that's interesting, to others that's scary. So the only reason that plant medicine was so giving to me was because I had worked on myself for so long. So I'm not saying, hey, go trip your brains off and see what happened to you when you were 15. Like, don't do that. Don't do any of this stuff until you're really ready, which might not ever be. Mm. I don't want to put words in your mouth, obviously, but showed you your past traumas and gave you gave you something that maybe you didn't have before in terms of recalling everything that happened in your past. I've had other people on also who had their own experiences with plant medicine. And one guy explained it that like, it doesn't give you, you use the word mad libs. So maybe that's similar to how he sort of explained it, where he's like, it doesn't give you the answers. It just sort of puts everything out in front of you in like a very vulnerable, real way. I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm trying to understand, I guess, like maybe how your life changed after. It's not a linear journey. And it's not something that I think you can understand until you experience it. And your experience will be very different than mine. Because it's literally like, it takes you only where you are meant to go. Like, even if you go in like, why did this happen? What happened when? It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have that experience. Like, it's really, you're at the mercy of the, the medicine and the medicine's at the mercy of you. And you really work together and you have to be completely willing to let go. The only reason all of these things started flooding out of me over the past year, it wasn't one time. I've had multiple one-on-one experiences with therapists because I'm really, I'm going the therapy way and I don't believe in just hacking into my brain. Like there's nothing safe about this, even though it's safe. I believe in it, that it's safe, but it's, it's something that needs to be done with complete intention. And yeah, my second time I did it or third time, like it gave me a list. You dated him because of what happened to you when you were 17, you were with him. So it was like that. And other times it literally just showed me what happened so that I could understand why? Like really finding my why. And nothing's been linear either. It didn't show me what happened when I was five the first time. And it, you know, just recently, 12 days or almost a month ago, you know, it showed me the first time the word no was taken from me. So it really brought me all the way back. And then it showed me why I transferred from college when I was 21. Like these are things I didn't remember and nothing makes sense but now putting all these puzzle pieces together, everything makes sense. Do you plan to like continue to use the plant medicine? I plan to until I don't. So like, I don't know what's next. I don't, I've never done ayahuasca. There's something that's very interesting to me about it, but I'm not sure if it's for me. At some point, I feel like I'll probably do that, but not till I'm called to it. I don't 
personally think these are things that I want to do for the rest of my life. I think I'll know when I'm done and then maybe I'll revisit it. Like, I think there's really something powerful about MDMA assisted therapy, MDMA. I know people know ecstasy, club drug, whatever. MDMA was originally introduced and it was being tested at MIT as a tool for PTSD. And then you know, they decided to outlaw and it became an illegal drug. So I think there's really something about MDMA doing it as a couple, because basically it sort of softens everything. It, it, you know, this love drug, it, and why it was so powerful for me was because what happens again with PTSD is the MDMA releases serotonin in your brain. So you start to be able to remember traumatic memories from a place of love and safety. So it makes you feel safe so that you can then let all of this stuff go. Were you scared before you did it the first time? Like, what if I purge or get sick or like freak out? I've heard like, if you don't let go, this is just what I've been told that like, if you don't let go fully or like give in to the experience, and maybe at that point, you're just not ready to, to do it. But I heard like, that's when you can have like a bad experience. But then again, like, I've really never heard anyone who's expressed that or explained it that they've been called to it. I never heard that they had a bad experience. I mean, I've heard people go into these things and, you know, take these heroic doses and they don't remember or feel anything. And that to me just says like, you're not ready. You're not ready. Like it will mm. only show you what you're ready to see. So this isn't a tool you just decide to go into. Like there's deep work that needs to lead up to these things in terms of bad trips. I'm sure they happen all the time, but that's when people aren't doing these things mindfully. And if you really yeah. want the result that I think these tools are capable of, you know, giving, you have to have done the work and also be ready to completely let go. So this is all about, you know, we build our egos. We build these versions of ourselves, this facade we want to show the world to sort of hide, you know, our vulnerability, all of our softness. And so, again, like I'm in this place where like, my ego, it was so strong. I needed so badly to be seen by the world or whatever. And I don't feel that anymore. I feel like I just can, for the first time, really be myself. So what does that mean? It means sharing all my stories to the world. It means wearing what I want. It means being who I am. It means moving to Austin for no reason because it felt right. It means just doing whatever feels right to me. And I've always been someone who goes against the grain in everything that I do. And I'm an extremist. So when you say, were you scared before? I didn't give myself the opportunity to be scared. Like I decided two days before I did DMT that I was going to. And the woman who gave me the person's number said, he's never in town, but you can try. I texted him and he goes, I'm just back from an eight month sabbatical. Are you here this weekend? I didn't have time to say no. When you hesitate, <laughs> it's like, and so I did and then a week later, when I did my first real journey, like psilocybin and MDMA, I had said, like, I didn't understand what the DMT was feeding me. And there was a curiosity left to me. And they were like, hey, they're doing this thing on Saturday. Do you want to go? And I'm like, well, what is it? And they told me and I was like, I don't know. I think I'm good. And then again, it was like this fear that I was meant to lean into. And so I showed up. Mm. I showed up to a room of 25 people in Brooklyn. I had no idea what was going on. And... I was scared right before. And because of that anxiety, there was something that scary that popped up that was not real. And I had to literally trust myself like, Olivia, you're okay. You're safe. You're okay. Let go. And as soon as I let go, everything sort of came to me. Like the plan is a living thing. You're a living thing. You're doing this dance together, but it's really about, you know, opening up. And, and I'm talking to you casually about these things, but like I said, there's, 
nothing casual about them. Got it. Yeah. There's personally, I'm very intrigued. I've had a lot of people on the show who have used plant medicine. And I'd say overall, a lot of the things that you've expressed or described is pretty much how they described it, especially that you need to be called to it as opposed to just like, definitely not like a party drug by any means. No. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people talk about mushrooms and burning man, you know, there's all these things and go to a concert and trip your face off. Like (laughs) just recently I took some mushrooms. I thought it would be not fun, but like I've never experienced these things in a fun way. They're a tool for me to go in not to be out there. If I want to be out there, have a martini dance, whatever, not even like these for me are a way to go inside to see what's inside. And I would say they're, I personally believe that they are the most, the strongest healing modalities out there by far, by far, Mm. but they have to be used with intention. You have to be ready for them. They have to be ready for you. So if it's imposed any other way, you're going to get a result that isn't going to be what you actually want. Got it. That makes sense. Well, we can start to wrap up the show. I want to end with something that I read that really moved me from one of your blogs. I don't remember which one specifically, but you wrote that no matter how challenging life feels, there's always something worth celebrating. Mm. I wanted to talk about what that means to you because I think there's a really powerful lesson that people can take from that. You know, I remember days before my mom died, being in the hospital. And this was like when we got the news that she was going to move to hospice care. My mom was only sick for two months. So she was she had cancer. And it was very, the only way that I could really describe it is like, it was hell. It was two months. They didn't really know what type of cancer she had. They were trying to get her to chemotherapy. And along that way, along along the journey of trying to get her there, it was complication after complication operation after operation where we didn't know if she was going to come out of the operation alive or dead. And uh, days before she died, they said there's nothing more that we could do. And from just to backtrack a second, like when my mom checked into the hospital and when they found out she had cancer, she never, she never left because there was complication after complication. So she was in the hospital for a little more than two months Mm -hmm. before she died. When we got the news that she was moving to hospice care, I sat down with my mom and This was, you know, like essentially what would be one of our last fluid conversations. And I told her, you know, like life's so unfair. And I said that we've already lost dad less than five years ago. And now we're going to lose you. And I went on to explain, you know, life is so unfair. And she interrupted me and said, life is unfair, but it's also so glorious. Mm -hmm. And you need to go and find the glory in life. And reading this from your blog, it really reminded me of that experience, that moment, you know, that no matter how challenging life is, there is always something worth celebrating. And I was just curious if you could talk about what that means to you. I think that that mentality or that mantra or just that sentence alone, if you could really hold that and carry that with you, it is an extremely, it's just very powerful because I think about it on so many levels. When I think of just like the chaos in the world today, and the things where people are like, this is unfair, that's unfair, this sucks, but there really is always something worth celebrating. As my mom said, you know, there's, there's a lot of glory in life. Mm. So I'm curious what that means to you and if you yeah. can speak to that a little bit. I mean, I think it's similar to this vein of like victim or survivor, everything's perspective. Like 
finding the flow through the fight, finding the ease through all of the resistance. Life is never going to be 100% what you expected. It's never going to be 50% of what you expected. But given that, like, can you go through life with this element of no matter what, I'm going to find the bits of gold. I'm going to find the glory. I'm going to find the through line to find ease through whatever, you know, comes my way. And, and you know, I always, my name's Olivia Young, but it, I realized when I was 30, it was live young, this idea of life living. And I always have said, like, you have to work hard to live young, put in the effort to find the ease. And again, no matter what life throws at you, sort of have to wake up every day and check in every moment to see where you are. Are you playing in this victim? Are you playing in this survivor? You know, did something happen to you? Or are you making something happen? And it's just about changing your perspective. So I've been through pretty clear that I could put more hell than I've ever would ever wish on my worst enemy. And it wasn't something that happened once. It was basically my whole life. I've been victimized and I can stay in that. I can stay in that. Or I can see that because of what I've been through or overcome, nothing can shake me at this point. And not mm. living in the dark, but seeing the light. But now having recognized my darkness, literally embracing all of the light I have. And a lot of what I'm experiencing now is something I've never experienced. I'm 35 years old, and I think for the first time in my life, and this is an extreme statement, for the first time in my life, I'm experiencing joy. I don't think I've ever experienced joy before because I was living in this victimhood and not because I chose it. It wasn't my perspective. It was because of what happened to me. And now I don't see it as that. I see it as this is the strength that I have that I can now lead with and share so that other people can recognize their own. So not victim, survivor, like celebrating everything because now I'm finally free of whatever has been holding me back my whole life. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing all that and being so vulnerable and open and honest and real with, with me and on the podcast today. I so appreciate it. I'm so grateful that you had me on and that you shared. And I hope that this inspires somebody, anybody to sort of look within themselves. And yeah, thank you. Hearing your story, gets, it's like box and flow now makes so much more sense to me. It's funny too, because I, I mentioned I boxed my entire life. The first time I ever stepped foot in a boxing gym, I was 11 years old. And it's like still my biggest, my biggest passion mm. out of anything that I'm involved with. Like boxing will always, I always say boxing will be my first love. Mm -hmm. When I was 14, I started working in a boxing gym. When I was 16, I started my first business selling boxing gloves. And I had a business called Golden Gear from 2009 to 2015. Mm. I was selling boxing gloves like before boutique boxing was here, before it was the cool thing. It's funny also because a lot of, I think so much of a lot of the things that specifically around resilience and adversity, like I've learned in a boxing gym, similar to the things like, I feel like I'm totally missing the, the flow part. <laughs> but specifically the 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 boxing part there are so many moments in my life where so much seemed easy because of the experiences that i had in the boxing gym and what boxing has taught me and mm -hmm. obviously you know i'm not a professional by any means and i competed a little bit growing up like when i was in my teens and so many of the lessons in the gym 
like I gave up when I was 11 years old, I gave up all team sports mm. and went like all in on boxing. And there are so many moments in my life where something that maybe other people would be, would say, wow, that seems extremely difficult or challenging or scary. Like I've already experienced much scarier, harder, difficult things in that boxing fight very much as it, you know, you explained it very beautifully, but that one-on-one type of fight where it is you versus you, mm-hmm. obviously in, in some cases there's that opponent, but very much like even just boxing in a gym, in a bag, it is you versus you. You use the example early on on the show, like dropping your hands, you know, that's sort of like you letting yourself down, you giving up, you giving in. But yeah, just hearing you speak, hearing your story, it's, it makes me want to go. It makes me wish the gym was here. And, and with that said, I think that, you know, you've been through a lot of things you've overcome. And I would, I would dare to say that you trained for that. You created your resilience. You created your strength in the boxing gym through that fight. You trained to be able to overcome what you've overcome. And so did I. And I think the yoga part, that's probably your biggest challenge to slow down and just allow yourself to feel it. And yeah, because that's what yoga is. It's really getting grounded on the mat. You know, you're not bouncing around, you know, waiting to fight. You're, you're in your body. You're in this vessel. You're holding yourself up and you're letting yourself go. And it's a completely different experience, but still it's training you to be both strong and soft. So I can completely relate to that, to both. Yeah. Yeah. Where can people connect with you, reach out, get a hold of you if they want to get in touch or connect? So um, on Instagram, I'm at Liv Young, L-I-V-Y-O-U-N-G. My blog that we've referenced many times is liveyoung.co. I'm pretty easy to find, Olivia Young. I'll include your blog as well in the the show notes so anyone can can, uh, find it there as well. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And like I said, being so open, real raw and filtered. I know it's not, not always easy, but I'm so appreciative of you sharing your story on, on our podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the bits of gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, share with a friend, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Apple's podcast. It would really mean the world and it really helps the show grow with that. Enjoy the week. New episode dropping this Monday. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello 
Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 